Welcome to Writing the Wrong Way. This is a podcast for serious writers who want to develop their skills in artistry and stand out in a crowded industry by taking intelligent, creative risks. I'm your host, Jonathan Ball. I hold a PhD in literature. I'm the author of uh, numerous books, and I take a very analytical approach to art making, emphasizing both efficiency and experimentation. I'm sitting here with uh, three other writers at Downever House, um, this supposedly haunted house in Winnipeg, Manitoba, uh, where uh, which belonged to the McDonald family. Uh, so this was this. I guess it was the son of John A. McDonald, mm-hmm. uh, Canada's first prime minister, who I believe was also the premier of Manitoba mm-hmm. at one point. Um, so this is like a restored Victorian mansion that you know local legend says has haunted. And we are here because the Writers Festival has invited us to. Uh, on, on I guess the 200th anniversary of um, Mary Shelley and her friends' um, fateful night when they came up with, of course, you know, well, well, you know, they came up with some great stuff, but Shelley herself uh, came up with the novel Frankenstein, um, the first uh, work of science fiction in the modern sense, and also uh, I always make fun of, you know, kind of loser guys who are really pretentious about women in science fiction like like the women invented science mm-hmm. this woman invented science fiction mm-hmm. as a teenager um, but of course the seminal work of horror fiction and we've got this creepy you know old house we're supposedly uh, going to be coming up with now the, the future well, you know some someone here has to invent a new genre <laughs> and uh, you know create some classic works that will last 200 more years mm-hmm. so um, we're supposed to be locked in this haunted house all night for inspiration and uh, terror <laughs> um, I'm going to have uh, my three guests introduce themselves so you can connect you know, your, your voices to their names. Um, so we just say something, maybe we'll start uh, with you. Sure. Uh, my name's Kevin Fournier, and it's good, good to be here. Yeah, my name's Joanna Graham, and I'm very much looking forward to a night of writing in a haunted house. I don't think that opportunity comes around very often. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm Lauren Carter. Ditto to what everybody said. It's good to be here. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know, we're not necessarily all horror authors, uh, but um, I I think there is like a connection in the sense of, I mean, we've all applied to be in this haunted house, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. and and generally speaking have um, like an interest in some darker material, even if you're not doing that all the time. One, do you even see yourself as having a particular interest in darker material? But two, like maybe what draws you to that material? Um, you know, I, I like to joke that I'm, I consider myself a horror writer, even though nobody agrees with me. Um, and so to me, it's a bit more of a kind of a natural, maybe outcome of my interests and my, you know, like somewhat nihilistic philosophy. <laughs> but uh, let's start with Joanna, maybe, because you were talking earlier about how you, um, like anyone can jump in any time here, of course, but you were talking earlier about how you don't necessarily maybe see yourself as a horror writer, but people kind of disturbed by the things you're writing well it, it depends on on the person um so my partner who is a big horror movie buff would not be as disturbed um by the stuff that i write as maybe some of my other relatives who don't who don't usually read or watch kind of more sinister genres so i i don't often think of myself as a horror writer um and in fact, I always get stumped when people ask me, oh, what kind of, like, what, what's your genre? And I never know fully how to answer. Um, but I am definitely drawn to some darker 
themes. I went through a sort of surgery phase where I was very interested in the history of surgery and how people interact with the body and can restructure it and what happens when you cross that barrier of the skin. Um, and some of the darker things that I'm, I'm drawn to, I think, just tie into some of the themes that I'm interested in, in writing about. So like grief often appears in some of my work and that of course connects with the whole realm of things around death and things coming back from the dead and decay and all that jazz. But you are, the, what's resting underneath my microphone here is an anthology that you and I were both in yes. called The Shadow of Reportage in Maine, um, which is an anthology of horror stories. Uh, and your story in that is uh, a tapestry, so I remember, if I remember right, the title, which is, do you want to just maybe tell everyone what Tapestries is about? Sure. Um, Tapestries is about a girl who has recently lost her sister and is sort of stuck in, I mean, she's she's alive, but since the death of her sister, she's been more drawn to death and thoughts of decay, and her life has sort of um, become a bit of limbo. So when she is in the um, working at the store, she goes deeper and deeper into the floor's basement, which is unusually expansive, and um, she encounters this figure named Hadrian, who has been living um, for goodness knows how long in the depths of this building, um, and it, the depths of this building also connect to various tunnels that go deeper and deeper, and he's been down there um, creating I guess some, you might call it an art installation um, <laughs> with uh, bones and dead things that he's sort of built into this wall along with plants and everything that are going, growing around them and through them and impossibly in the underground, but somehow they're growing and the narrator gets drawn into that world. Yes, yeah, you know, these tapestries, as the tell goes, of the of you know, corpses and, you know, almost like a grave and cross, graves and cross section is mm. almost the sort of the image. Like, do you not consider that to be a horror story? Like, like, like we, mm. I'm just curious how you write something like that and, you know, don't necessarily see yourself as a horror writer. When you put it like that and when I hear somebody else describing it, I'm like, yeah, that does sound like a horror story. But when I was writing it, I wasn't thinking of genre at all. And mm. I think I just got so wrapped up in in the writing process the revising process and and thinking about it that i was just like this none of it's scary anymore Mm -hmm. (laughs) and i always sort of think of having and this is probably an incorrect definition or a very old definition but i think when you read horror you there's an expectation that you're going to be frightened and i don't think that my work is is scary but sure (laughs) well um i always find that when you set out to write a story you're not really thinking of anything at all. It, and then when you're done, you try to sell it. And if you can sell it to a horror anthology, you do, right? But that mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily mean that you yeah. set out to write mm-hmm. horror. What about you? you? You, I was saying earlier to you, like you have one of the best titles for any work mm-hmm. that I've ever Thanks. seen, which is this great book title called um, the, the Green-Eyed Queen of Suicide City. Um, and, and, I, and I haven't unfortunately read that book, but it's uh, it's an amazing title. And I, I you know, it sounds immediately like it would have some pretty dark material. From what I understand, you've got all sorts of you know strange, speculative, you know, yeah. dead, uh, corpse-like, god things. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, half of the book it alternates between the living and the dead, chapter by chapter, and so half the book mm-hmm. is set in an afterlife, specifically for people who have committed suicide. And uh, in the book, all of them are still 
if you slit your throat, you're just bleeding permanently in the afterlife, sort of thing, that kind of thing. So there was a lot of graphic gore, but and again, when you when you describe it like that, it does kind of sound like a horror book, and then it descends into cannibalism at the end. But um, it's not horror. No, no, no. It's, it's, a, YA. it's a young adult novel. Exactly. It is a YA novel, right? But uh, um, yeah, that's. I started thinking about. Well, I remember. So someone I knew had commented about. Um, how often in books um, they make death sound glamorous because the hero sacrifices them at the end, right? And so then I started thinking, well, what's a what's a really great way you can make death not sound glamorous at all? And then the train of thought <laughs> mm-hmm. sort of followed. Sure. What, mm-hmm. what about you, Lauren? Um, you now your 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 work doesn't as immediately sound dark, but you know the stuff you're reading. We had a reading earlier. You know, it's some pretty dark material in there. Yeah, and uh, Swarm, my first novel, mm-hmm. is pretty dark. It's, yeah. Uh, kind of post-apocalyptic after economic collapse but very ground in realism like an idea of what would that realistically look like so the idea of desperation hunger you know shortage of medication uh having to kind of stay in relationships you don't want to stay in because that's how you survive i i really like the idea of sort of the horror in the everyday so i think i I would describe myself more when I do go to into those areas it's more I think gothic sure like I love the idea of the gothic right the the um, the horror that is hidden beneath the middle-class household that sort of thing Um, that's what really attracts me and what I'm really interested in I'm a huge fan of Joyce Carol Oates and you know she so much of her work is is ground in that kind of dark horror of male female relationships and and uh how how we kind of operate on a day-to-day basis in society i don't think a lot of horror things that get called horror are actually like i have a very specific theory about horror yeah which i would i would what you talked about at the reading about Mm -hmm. the idea of of monsters being the what what did you say i think horror has to have a monster Mm -hmm. and i think that the monsters have to have three qualities. <laughs> like yeah. I get very specific. Like mm. monsters have to be abnormal. They have to be transgressive, and they have to symbolize uh, a fate worse than death. Uh, I think that um, horror has to um, uh, is about reality and competing ideas of what is real thematically uh, on some level. I think there's two basic plot structures in horror. <laughs> like I'm mm. very like like I'm I'm very you know structuralist about it in this way. Like like I think that the you have two plot structures in horror, more or less fundamentally. One is just um, is this I you have this ordered world uh, of and it, the monster comes into the world from outside, and the monster represents a force for chaos and disorder, and its presence threatens to tear reality apart, and so it has to be gotten rid of. You know, and the whole plot action is about trying to get rid of the monster and. In a conservative horror story, or what I would call a reactionary horror story, you can get rid of the monster. This is very much what, again, monsters is a threat to order. We must value and preserve our order and so on and so forth. You can fight the monster. And you get various things happening in a horror story, generally speaking, I think, because this is a basic structure. You That trope in a slasher film, for example, where... Um, people just refuse to believe the monster exists until like mm-hmm. halfway through the film, more or less, and they keep getting, they keep dying. You know, I think there's like a fundamental structural issue in horror where 
um, again, because the monster represents this reality that you can't believe in, you know, characters make what we would see from the outside as stupid decisions. Like, we know the audience that there's vampires out, yet we see all these people, you know, they're, they're finding, like, corpses drained of blood with, like, holes in their necks, but they're like, no, what is causing this? You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, like, in a bad horror story, I think, like, the explanation for that, in some ways, is a structural explanation. And I think a more radical horror story, I think that's kind of where what I call reactionary horror stops. I think the radical horror uh, story which is what more interesting to me, um, goes this extra weird step where it turns out, uh, although the monster appears to have come from outside, it actually was always already here in some form. It turns out that although it appeared like there was an ordered world and this monster was threatening it by its presence or its activity, um, you actually have a situation where... Um, there was no order. The order was an illusion. The monster represents the truth. If it there, if it is the truth, symbolically, it cannot be killed uh, or stopped. It can only maybe be temporarily stayed. It's fundamentally, thematically, there's just the nightmare universe of chaos that everyone has to now um, accept. But it's better to die than to accept it. You know, like I've got these all these weird theories you know about horror so i think very few things actually are horror but i think a lot of stories have horror elements and so I, i'm interested in both of those things but i, I just i think that's to me mm -hmm. that's a lot of the confusion around what is and isn't horror or, or when people you, know, you have a story with all these horror elements and and thematically it may be doing a lot of the same things that a horror story is doing um, but I wouldn't necessarily qualify as horror. I just, it's still interesting to me. But. Yeah, and I think, you know, we always try to, like, marketing, so much about marketing is mm -hmm. about what arena is your book in, what genre is your book, right? Like, when I, yeah. when Swarm was in the works, I remember my agent asking me, is this what you do? Do you write like, <laughs> speculative fiction? I was like, no. Well, because that would have <laughs> because come with, that would be yeah, that would be where I would be. Like I would have to keep writing these. And my new novel is set in 1994. Like sure. the hmm. swarm was in the near future, which who knows when that's going to happen in an alternate reality? <laughs> Maybe it's unfolding, but uh, um, we're not in the alternate reality. Peak oil and stuff. Every day it feels like we are in an alternate reality. <laughs> From the standpoint of water. Well, news. <laughs> yeah, from the standpoint of reality, you know. Yes. We're in one. Yeah. But that's super interesting. Like, what do you guys think about that idea of the monster? I'm, I mean, I don't know. I, I may be wrong with all those ideas, but I, I just have a very specific, you know, really interesting. set of ideas about it. Because I, I think, like, what's the difference between a vampire and Twilight and a vampire and, a vamp and Dracula? You know, structurally, I think there's one difference <laughs> which is that Dracula represents a fate worse than death which is what for the Victorian reader a male reader what if an immigrant could come here and we wouldn't know they were an immigrant because Dracula is and, and explains like things in the novel that otherwise don't make sense like why does Dracula want to learn the train schedules you know so that nobody will ask him that he doesn't have to ask people for the train schedule why does Dracula want to um, speak without an accent so that's his most important concern you know why does he only get upset when somebody when his money starts to spill on the ground because that's his the real source of Jack's power in that novel is he has money 
And like all the weaknesses of being a vampire, he just buys his way through them. Like he can't cross running water. He pays guys to take him across running water. You know, he has to sleep in this dirt from Transylvania. You know, well, he pays people to like put it in a house. And, you know, like and it's, it's a really fascinating book in a bunch of mm-hmm. strange ways. I read, uh, I read Dracula in, in <clears throat> Argentina. I was in this little town traveling on my own and it was the only English book I could find. <laughs> so I read it in this little hotel. It was awesome. It was the best. Anyway, I, I am. You were you were saying, what do you think about monsters? Do you, do you think about monsters? Like you were talking about, you know, you just kind of may pursue uh, what you're doing, and then you know, you figure out later who maybe would be interested. In it. Right. But, but as you were like, just find yourself drawn like to K-Dreams. certain themes. But yeah, I I wrote that a while. ago a long time ago so I'm not exactly I Hadrian came from a like a various evol- that story went through various evolutions through over a couple of years and I remember Hadrian I originally thought of as as a different version of Hades and then eventually he moved from that to um, just representation of death and decay um, but I'm writing this story now which um, you reminded me of when you were talking about how the monster's always been there and, and people just kind of don't acknowledge it and it's not um maybe it is a monster it's a ghost and a monster um and it's something that um the protagonist sees and is extremely startled and disturbed by and she tells her husband and he listens and he says yes that is alarming but you know it's just a spook and spooks happen from time to time you just have to ignore them and eventually they'll resolve their issues and go away and it turns (laughs) out it's like this sort of unspoken taboo that a lot of people in her community know about um and they they're just all convinced that it's like eventually they'll sort themselves out and go away (laughs) we just don't we just don't talk about them and Mm. we just don't get involved because we don't know their world and it's dangerous and of course then the protagonist gets involved and i'm still working on the story so i don't know exactly how it unfolds but it's a great idea. Mm-hmm. The, you know, I, I, what I think find interesting about that basic premise, which again I think this is the more radical strain of horror, um, is that you have this basic setup or construct where what's worse than dying, and I think this is specific to the horror genre. I think you know there, there's a there's a fate that is worse than death, um, and, and what's worse than death often in a horror story is. Or one of the best things that can happen in a horror story often is to die because you, all your ideas about the universe are intact. <laughs> but if you don't die, you have to you know accept the reality of this monster and all the things that it represents. Which and often carries well. Instead of doing that, uh, they'll just deny it until they're victimized, or they'll um, go you know quote unquote mad. You know this sort of whatever that means and you know horror has this you know concept of madness that it keeps thrusting upon characters which you know has really nothing to do with mental illness in the real world but like is this sort of particular idea i think specific to horror that you know there's some reality concept that you would rather this is your only defense is to like lose your whole grip on reality rather than accept the monster's reality i think the third uh, option which is the most interesting to me which you rarely see is where people embrace the reality, like embrace the monster and become a monster willingly, mm-hmm. which you almost never see. But I find that like like, like that's the most fascinating solution to horror to me, is you know the protagonist who becomes the monster and no longer is horrified, mm-hmm. you know, by that competing idea of reality. Which to me that's like the, the darkest possible scenario. Um, 
you know, but you know, all, all those scenarios are kind of interesting to me, like in a weird way. But I like that idea of like, you know, people are just like, oh, you know, the spooks will move on mm-hmm. somehow. They, we don't know what they're doing, but they do their thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's kind of an interesting apartheid in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Spiritual apartheid of some sort. Yeah. yeah. We'll see where it ends up going. <laughs> mm-hmm. you, Kevin, you had mentioned um, this idea that I think is really interesting. Maybe it, it is worth talking a little bit about is this idea that, well, you just kind of are doing things, you know, as a writer almost, and you kind of like later on will figure out, yeah, like where you might position it in, in marketing. Right. Horror for a while in the 90s. Or even you know, what you're doing. Or even what yeah. you're doing. <laughs> yeah, very much yeah. so. Like two years later. <laughs> Horror, you know, as a marketing term, you know, it really kind of rises in certain ways with Stephen King in the 80s, the 70s and 80s. Like, like it's around before, but it doesn't really have like his own section of the bookstore to that point, kind of, you know. And, and then in the 90s, it's like nobody can publish horror. It's just it's like dead, mm-hmm. like marketing-wise. So everyone's coming with these other terms like gothic or dark fantasy or whatever. Now you can kind of say horror again, but because, you know, get out is... Well, I think gothic is really different because, I mean, you know, people describe Alice Monroe as being like Southern Ontario gothic, yeah. right? And and there's the whole tradition of the... of, of the southern U.S. Gothic, these very yeah, very ordinary circumstances and stories that have this this kind of creepiness to them, um, embedded in kind of an everydayness. Yeah, when yeah. you were talking about that earlier, I was thinking I read um, *The Blind Assassin* by Margaret Atwood earlier. Yeah, and that seems to have a similar southern mm-hmm. Ontario kind of Gothic to it, particularly when the two young sisters are sort of trying to figure out what's going on with their mother's miscarriages. There's mm-hmm. some really visceral and bizarre and bloody descriptions that's just sort of like swept away and covered up in this domestic women women's realm mm-hmm. that I found really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Kevin, when you were writing um, The Green-Eyed Queen of Suicide City, like, and you've got all those like really graphic uh, ideas. Now this is being marked as a YA novel right. uh, and so on. You know, I'm just curious to know, like, how um, did you did you think of it as a YA novel, as an example? Like, when no. you're writing that, like, what were your ideas about? Because at a certain point, you're you're of course thinking, okay, I'll send it to this publisher and, right. and this and that. And yeah, um, yeah, I guess I mean because the protagonists are that age, therefore yeah. it's easy to sell it as that book. Did you get resistance about like images like that? I didn't. Or, or, or I did surprisingly. Surprisingly, my uh, so my very my first book was also a YA novel, and um, they made me change the title to that one because the original title was Owen's Wet Ass. <laughs> apparently, that was too sketchy. Yeah. <clears throat> but cannibalism and the headless man and stuff like that—that's all fine. <laughs> and suicide in the title. I'm shocked that they allowed you to have suicide. In yeah, the no, title I did not YA get novel. any pushback at all from no. the publisher something else oh. oh that's interesting uh I, i'm always interested in you know those particular sort of um diff- that difference between kind of how you work and maybe where what you're doing after in a sense and i'm always just like process it's maybe worth asking just kind of while we're sitting here talking about horror stories in a haunted, supposedly in a, in a haunted house. What do you think of ghosts? Do you believe in ghosts? Like, I presume nobody here believes in ghosts because you're willing to be in a haunted house. But, you know, I'm curious. It's a good question you people, horror I think, authors will right. ask you. I, I you know, I think li- like life is hard enough. <laughs> <laughs> if you can survive like life, then ah, 
ghost. You can survive anything. Yeah. <laughs> you could be a ghost for that reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe. Interesting. I, I think of ghosts more in terms of sort of memories mm-hmm. um, and just really strong senses of kind of memories that can suddenly be evoked. Yeah. And grief. Mm-hmm. Grief. Yeah. Grief at 2 a.m. Yeah. yeah, grief at 2 a.m. Yeah. Yeah. Why not do it in a haunted house? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm completely agnostic on the, the possibility of ghosts. Yeah. Yeah. I'm totally, you know, agnostic slash atheist about everything, more or less. Mm-hmm. So I, I have, like, no belief in ghosts whatsoever. But I always, like, I find it a fascinating. Idea. There's a great story Stephen King tells, which is... Um, uh, I forget where I heard it, but it, but it was but when The Shining, speaking of haunted places, you know, when The Shining was being made into a movie by Kubrick, um, apparently Kubrick called King up, you know, from the UK or something, and you know, King was like shaving in the morning, and you know, the phone rings, his wife hands on the phone and says, "Oh, it's Stanley Kubrick," and he's you know, sh- you know, thrilled and shocked, and he answers the phone. And Kubrick apparently starts a conversation saying, I think, without saying hello, but just saying, I think um, ghost stories are fundamentally optimistic, don't you? Which, which King, I guess, replies, well, no. <laughs> you know, I, what about, you know, what about hell, you know, going to hell? Or, or why, do you, why would you say that, I guess? Mm. And, and he's like, well, you know, a ghost story implies the existence of heaven, which I think is fundamentally optimistic. And King goes, well, what about hell? And Kubrick goes, well, I don't believe in hell. And Cain goes, well, what if you go to heaven when you die, but the process of dying is so traumatic that it effectively breaks your mind and <laughs> you arrive in heaven, you know, absolutely broken, traumatized, thinking at hell, you know, and, you know, and forever, you know, this traumatic process has destroyed you eternally. And Kubrick says, it's been nice talking to you, and hangs up and never apparently talked to King again. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know how accurate that retelling is, but I always like think of that as like, you know, huh. yeah, yeah, like the Can't... afterlife is having these weird complexities, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> if there's an afterlife, it's probably more more disturbing than maybe we I, I also think that it's a great setup for, mm-hmm. you know, the movie of this night for us to all be sitting around with you know recording a yeah. podcast about how yeah we don't believe in ghosts it's like <laughs> it's it's the That's perfect what andrew piper said to me on twitter he's like the first thing you should do is yeah um, it's, was mock the ghosts openly <laughs> <laughs> did he'll he be, then he'll be yeah he's like then you'll be sure you know to oh get that's some hilarious activity <laughs> good great well, well one of the things Check. we're supposed to do here primarily is like um come up with stories right I'm really curious about this particular thing. So how, how are you going to come up with a story? <laughs> you know, what is your actual process, you know, to, to come up with a story? Like, are, are you coming in here with ideas that you want to flesh out and write? Or are you kind of like, or if, if you're looking around, and if so, like, um, or, or if you have no ideas coming in, like, uh, are you, how are you go from, like, looking around this house to, you know, coming up with an idea, I guess? Is it, I'm very mm-hmm. curious to know, like, what's the idea development, like your story development process? Is anyone coming in with, like, pure no idea going to come up with something right here on the spot? That's your plan. More or less. Yeah. I have a few different ideas about things that are intriguing about the Victorian time. Mm-hmm. So I think just kind of starting with those and then just writing, so seeing what, is, what happens. So what is intriguing to you at Victorian time? Uh, well, you know, like some of the creepier things, like the hair ornaments and wreaths, and um, 
the arsenic and the green paint, you know, just stuff like that. I don't know what would work, what wouldn't work. I'm also really interested in um, fabric arts. You know, hmm. I knit and I'm learning how to crochet, so I'm really interested in that women's experience and reality and shielding their faces from the fires and just stuff like that. Like, sure. I don't know how, how, where it's going to begin or what's going to really happen. I was really interested in that idea that when we were getting a tour around, we were, yeah, the, our, our, our guide mentioned that um, women in these massive dresses would sometimes be like, yeah. to go to the fire and their dress would catch fire and they wouldn't notice it. For, yeah. <laughs> for yeah. A while. But then of course they'd be eventually engulfed in flames. Combusting. And then, and people just dealt with it like, oh, well, Lucy died from, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's such a weird. Yeah. Um, Fashion must go on. Yeah. It's a weird thing for you to think to think even happened that yeah. arsenic story also I, I never heard of that mm -hmm. the green paint and dresses and the walls might would be slowly killing you or mm -hmm. quickly killing you i guess yeah that grabbed me too and it just sort mm -hmm. of that idea and sort of like um willful self-destruction or you're aware of this self-destruction but what what values are pushing you to continue with that activity anyway I think that's kind of yeah. a relatable idea, but it, in Victorian, that kind of setting, it seems very extreme. Values and pressures of and pressures, society. Yeah. External and, pressures, yeah. And the aesthetics of it. Mm -hmm. It's reminding me in some ways of like the tapestry story, that idea that this is aesthetic quality now to um, all this kind of, I guess, darker uh, I always think stuff like that is interesting thematically because it's almost works like a metaphor for horror itself and why people maybe are interested in horror, which is mm -hmm. the eternal question people ask horror writers and, and readers, like why do you why do you find that stuff so interesting? You know, mm -hmm. um, what about do you have an idea coming in that you want to work on, or do you have like are you looking around for ideas or? I have a, a slight idea, um, and then I'm also looking around for ideas so I can kind of see my writing process as like I actually brought two different notebooks so I'm almost thinking like I might start in one and see if that goes anywhere and then start picking up an idea um, if this the thing that struck me walking around the house was thinking um, a lot of the time I don't necessarily like to set my stories in a specific period starting out because I want to get the writing done and then do the research later but thinking how easy it would be just sitting around the house um, or walking around the house to set something in this time and it would just if you're thinking about okay what's this character doing with their hands or what are they looking at what objects have significance to them you could you just literally look around a room and being like oh okay well she's holding up a fire screen um, and also trying to block her face from her prying grandmother or something like that but, so Every object seems like it could be used. Mm -hmm. So I came in with like the the opening few pages of a story idea to give myself a running start, Cheater. Uh, and then <laughs> yeah, I know. but then left it open so that it can go in in any way, and hopefully I'll think of a way that's relevant to the yeah. to the surroundings. So you'll you'll but be. But I didn't want to leave myself. Uh, yeah, didn't want to come up with absolutely nothing. Yeah, I came in with like a project to work on, but then as, as a in case I couldn't come up with yeah. anything else, and so but as I kind of was on the bus here, I was, I was kind of thinking about I was texting my daughter, making like joking that, um, you know, something 
she was like she 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 told me not to get possessed and i was just thinking like i wonder like like i'm like joking with her kind of about the house and this and that and it just kind of made me think about um of course like you said it was it's that's the setup for a horror story is you know somebody doesn't believe and again like mm-hmm. from my point of view like this is the whole theoretical structure for it's like you don't believe in this thing and then you are faced with the belief and i was thinking well so I'd be kind of like, I don't really have an idea yet, but I'm kind of running around in my head, like the idea of like a person who goes to a haunted house for some reason. And again, like has no, um, it's just somehow transformed somehow. I don't really have an idea yet, but I can see like the cycling of it mm-hmm. in my head. And I, because I was like, you know, making jokes on Twitter, I'm also thinking in terms of like, like lines Mm -hmm. (laughs) almost like in a poem like that have like no periods at the end Mm -hmm. so that's all i've got so far is Mm -hmm. that one maybe have just a bunch of lines Um. i'm I'm also a big believer in like automatic writing yeah you know so that's one thing i want to do is sort of move around the house and just try to try to connect with kind of the energy in some of the different areas like that story that i read from tonight um was a very kind of weird uh, circumstance around that that story was I wrote it about this woman who whose husband dies suddenly of a heart attack and two months after I wrote it my stepfather dropped out of a sudden mm. heart attack and there were a lot of parallels in that story between my own trip to Lilydale with my mother uh, who was called out as a widow at Lilydale but she was mm. not a widow and so it was all kind of weirdly psychic so I'm a I like that idea. Like that's something that I want to do tonight is just kind of wander around and see, kind of see what happens. Like what, what's my pen going to do? I, I, and you know, something might come of it. Nothing might come of it. And of course, after that, you always need to figure out what is in that story. Like, where's it going? Cause I'm not a big fan of stories that don't do anything. Right. I like to have some kind of an arc. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, that's, that's one thing that I'm, I'm going to do. I'm very skeptical of, you know, like all, all the fil- ideas attached to automatic writing, but I find automatic writing as a process really interesting. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm kind of similar, weirdly yeah. thinking of a similar thing. Like, I think, feel like I'm just going to float around and I just write lines, you know, right. see like, um, and, and, but with like maybe the, I'm thinking like maybe the idea that, um, this person has gone into the house and something has happened and now like they're writing lines. <laughs> I don't know. Like, yeah. Like, but like somehow like maybe it's like a thing is writing through them like I don't know what I'm got yeah. yet but something along these lines is what I'm kind of and if I don't you know get anything I'll just work on my novel <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah yeah that's what I thought like and even yeah. this 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 place as a former rooming house too yeah like I find it really interesting to think about all the people who were here like not just the historical reality that's sort of been set up but also when it was completely refragmented into this whole other place where who knows who is living here and you know in the cook's bedroom or i i find that like the whole the whole a structure right that's contained so many different lives and experiences well even the uh the effort to turn it into a museum and kind of recreate the past has a certain necrophilia quality to it right Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, it just, I never thought about it that way, but it's very much that idea of, um, 
you know, like loving this, like kind of weird nostalgic uh, aspects that, of course, you know, could be seen in a darker light or, you know, as some sort of weird fetishization of um, like a past. Yeah. There's all sorts of good reasons to have a museum, but there's oh, like, well, there's, yeah, like this, sure. there's like these. Um, <laughs> but if you're of, writing a ghost story. Then. Yeah, yeah. What I find interesting and is like the idea, the thing is like when people are talking about noticing different things and like they're attracted to this idea that idea i think a lot of like what writing is in terms of a process is just find yourself attracted to certain ideas um and you kind of are noticing things so what i was always interested to me is like if you walk around a room like we're being toured around and told things but there's like certain things i can see myself like catching on or i find interesting and i'm always interested in like why do people what do people catch on and maybe why and even just like, what do you do when you start noticing yourself noticing things? Um, and and maybe like, where do you take the idea or how do you develop the idea? Because I think a lot of what writing is, um, this isn't my idea, this is something that I, I, I remember uh, at least Neil Gaiman saying this uh, in some interview is that a lot of what people, writers do is, or artists do is just, you know, a person will have an idea and then they'll just move on with life. But a writer will have an idea and notice they've had an idea and then just start obsessively like returning mm-hmm. to the idea you know, and doing something with it, say. Uh, so I'm always curious, in it, and I know a lot of people who have notebooks and so on. So I'm curious like, just to know maybe a bit about people's process in terms of how do you, what do you do when you notice you're noticing a thing? And like, is there like, do you have any sort of process for capturing that? you know, what you're noticing or, or like of all the things you notice, like what maybe draws you to one more than the other? Um, and how do you kind of move from like these vague notions into say a, a, like an actual work of some sort? Know. It's kind of an abstract question, but you know what I'm talking about. Like, yeah, right? yeah, like yeah. You notice something, you kind of like catch yourself thinking, okay, maybe I can use that. Yes. Like, I guess what the, the question is like, how do you know whether you can use a thing? I usually start. It's a good question. It is a very good question. Um, I usually start just, and I don't mean to sound pedantic or obvious. But I usually start just writing about it and trying to write around it, and like it usually starts with a basic description, and sometimes that's all it gets to, and it's like, okay, that actually wasn't much of an idea. I just thought it looked cool. Um, But then sometimes it leads to a character, it leads to a conflict, or it leads to an atmosphere, which I sometimes successfully, sometimes not successfully try and develop, and it just kind of grows from there. So just actually test it out to see, is there an idea here or something I can do something? When you're talking about the fire screens, Mm -hmm. um, it's really interesting to me because you're talking about like okay if a person was sitting there how would they hold the fire screen and so on it made me think of when i do screenwriting i'll sometimes like stand in different positions and because i'm thinking like well how would this person actually visually be in a room with another person say mm-hmm. um so you're like actually kind of maybe rehearsing you may not have an idea at that point but you think okay if a person sitting there would have a thing here and mm-hmm. another person would be over here and uh, so you just would like maybe test out a description or something yeah just to kind of see if you can develop off of it yeah and uh sometimes it will actually go into a completely different direction and it'll be like oh well actually these two characters that end up having nothing to do with this object are having an interesting fight around the object so let's explore that tension Hmm. that's really interesting so you're basically concretizing your abstract noticing 
guess so, yeah. So yeah, so when, when I have an idea pop into my head for a story or a character or whatever, you know, whatever small thing, um, I, I'll play around with it in my head for just a little bit, but kind of deliberately not do it too much and then put it aside. And I sort of got this semi-superstitious feeling that if it was a crappy idea, I'll just forget about it. <laughs> but if it was really a good idea, it'll come back to me at some point. I do that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I have exceptions where I'll, I'll start, you know, to, like noodling it down. Yeah. But, but often I'll just kind of like, yeah, maybe if I still remember tomorrow or later, then I'll know Worth pursuing, now. yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's I'm also trying to catch up with all these things that aren't done. <laughs> yeah, I was. That's kind of where I am too. Like, I feel like it's been a long time since I've written something new. Yeah. Actually, because I have, uh, you know, I've been doing copy edits and stuff, and for the these two books I have coming out next year. Oh, you got two coming out next year. Yeah. In the same year. Yeah. Let me ask you. Can I just segue before you get into the, the, your sure. words? Sure. Say, yeah. Can I ask you how you convinced the publishers to put two books out in one year? Because <laughs> uh, I'm having an issue. It's not really an issue, but I'm thinking. I'm looking at my contracts, and like, there's all these ways in which they want. They don't want books coming out within this much or this much from one another. Well, they're one's a collection of poetry and one's a novel. Oh, that's that's the reason. Yeah. yeah. So they're different, different, different publishers, yeah. different. Yeah. Okay, sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Um, so yeah, I've been I've been you know working on that, and I've been working on this novel, which is I've been thinking about a lot tonight. It's been very helpful this conversation um, because I've been feeling like it's dead, mm-hmm. and even though I don't want it to be dead, it's sort of like a I've been working on it for about five years, um, kind of moving back and forth between different projects. So I think that is an interesting question too is to carry something along for a long time while trying to keep it new while trying to figure out what the newness is in it like what is the thing that that isn't quite there yet that that needs to be pulled out of it um or is it dead that's another question that i've been asking myself but um yeah how do you I can't remember what dead? the original question was. Because that, that's another question that's kind of interesting. Is like, how do you tell if something's dead? Yeah, because you probably indeed. have all had that experience where, like, you work on something, you know, either you finish it or don't finish it or whatever. But this but is at a certain point it's dead. Yeah, too. it's 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 sort of not. It's less about not just you know. I mean, I have a lot of stuff that I've just like, ah, it's not it's not catching my interest. I'm just gonna put it aside. It's, I'm not really into it. But this thing. I've been committed to so it's almost like it feels more like a death right because Hmm. I don't want it to die but it feels like it's it feels inert inert but I I also have a suspicion that it's inert because I haven't found the core yet right Hmm. so it might be something that I carry along for a long time and that you know you hear these stories about oh so-and-so was working on a novel for 10 years and I kind of get that because I think they're not really working on it like that. Well, you <laughs> yeah. are though, right? But are you? Be- you well, not, I mean, I mean, you I mean, you like- are in the sense of the deep subconscious. Sure, sure. You are in the sense of the thing is growing along with you. Yeah, that's and true. so if you're if you're still committed to it, right? In th- like five years from now, maybe I'll go. Oh, right. That's what that whole framework of a of a story is about. That's the deep thematic stuff. How do you tell when like an idea 
again, like if you're doing all these tests or you're doing, again, you're something just in your mind, you're kind of returning to it. I'm always curious to know like how people determine what ideas are for them, if that makes sense. Because you always yeah, have more than like, one idea. Yeah, your oeuvre. Yeah, like yeah. is it just an instinctual thing where you just, or you keep harassing this idea <laughs> somehow, <laughs> like until it, you know, just like develops for you? Or is it like, I, I'm just cu- very, always very curious where, why people pick one thing over the other. Mm-hmm. Again, like whether you notice this or notice that, or you test the thing, you test that thing. You know, I think sometimes it's just an abstract thing, and people don't examine it. But I'm always curious about, um, yeah, what what, ma- what makes an idea interesting to you? Yeah, in detail. because I, like you're doing research, you know. Yeah, and you have to go through the the doldrums too, right? Like yeah. you have to stay committed through the doldrums of the thing when but I think it's sort of like for me it's like what Kevin said if it keeps coming back right like you like for me I can tell when something's really grabbed me when I start waking up in the middle of the night and I I need to get up and write or I'm gonna lose what what's there um and it feels alive so yeah similarly for me it's some like I said earlier if I have an idea or if I think something's interesting I will start writing around it and a lot of it just goes absolutely nowhere but the stuff that I do keep coming back to the stuff that I keep thinking about the stuff that makes me have like a pad of post-its by my bed so that if, when I have that thought right as I'm falling asleep usually I can just scribble scribble it down and keep going to those are the ones that I feel are worth developing and, and I don't know if I can really say why because that's not necessarily answering your question it's just like these are the ones that yeah. do it but I'm not sure exactly what it is about that idea. So is it mostly, do you, have you noticed certain things you keep coming back to? Well, I mentioned it a bit earlier, um, some themes that I keep coming back to are mm-hmm. grief and how people deal with things that are outside of their control. Sure. Um, it's very, a hor- very much a horror sort of theme, like, <laughs> especially yeah. like the Lovecraftian, or, yeah. or even you know, not horror, but in Kafka. That whole idea that there's a mach- the universe is a system outside of your control somehow, mm-hmm. and, you know, and it's mysterious and disturbing. Yeah, mm-hmm. machinic in a way. Yeah. So one of my other tests for ideas that are worth pursuing are the ones that automatically lead to more ideas. Sure. You know, then mm-hmm. there's a domino effect. If, if the idea just sits there on its own, eh, maybe you'll, you'll get half a page out of it, but it's not really worth putting more into it than that. Did you study here? Did you go to university here? I did not I just, go to university at all. No. Okay, I just, I, because I, 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 I kind of work in that way, but specifically because Dennis Cooley at the University of Manitoba like taught me how to work oh, in okay. that way. <laughs> you know, like you just try a bunch of things and like what, what, um, he called it mining the site. Like you find some site and you like mine that site in a manner of speaking. You know, there's just something that catches your interest, but where you really want to dig deep in kind of his metaphors was um, when there's more stuff down there you know like you could get a whole instead of just one poem you've got a whole book of things about this or he's always turning out these kind of thematically connected you know poem collections and uh, I always found that a really useful idea that you know you'd have this some just some some broad idea that you just keep delving into like I, I did a book called Clockfire, which was um, plays that are impossible to produce. And so um, it was very much that sort of process of like, um, 
okay, what's another thing in the theater? Well, there's lights in the theater. And so I would write a poem about, about lights, you know, and how you, how would you make that impossible to produce play? Well, you just keep adding lights till the audience is blind. <laughs> you know, and then like, um, what else is in the theater? Well, what could you do in a theater? What are you not supposed to do in the theater? So the title of the poem of Clockfire is, uh, you know, the, um, the audience is sitting in their seats and the curtain comes up and there's just a clock on stage. And everyone's just looking at this clock, wondering why. <laughs> and then as they're doing this, the, act, the line is, the actors sneak behind the audience and set the theater on fire. Mm. You know, and um, I, I find like that could have, like I got a whole book out of that sort of thing. Like just right. like, again, like Cooley's idea. You just like okay, well here's a, a vague idea, and you just kind of just keep. What are all the iterations? Or it's, it's kind of what Joanna was talking about in some ways, like just kind of writing mm-hmm. around. Well, where does this go? Or where does mm-hmm. that go? For me, I I like to also really connect with the emotional reality, like what's mm-hmm. what's pulling me in about the character, right? Like, and where they are at emotionally. That's mm-hmm. important for me. You have to have a character, you know, if for a fiction, I guess. You know. Yeah. You, yeah, I mean, even... As well, you well, poetry. For, yeah, for, for poetry, it's it's capturing emotional experience also for sure. poetry. And usually it's it's mine or an imagined narrator. Uh, one other thing I just kind of... I'm just curious about, just to return to this idea, idea of an idea being dead... I'm just yeah. always curious, like when, you know, when you decide to abandon a, a project, is it a, like an instinctual thing as well? You, again, you just don't feel like this project works anymore, or do you ever make like, um, like I get, I'm always curious, like why do people abandon ideas? Like why do they get, they pursue them? Why do they abandon them? I find I abandon ideas, even if I still think they're good ideas, if they feel they don't feel visceral. Mm-hmm. Like, so, yeah, if there's not some emotional quality or even mm-hmm. just some disturbing quality or some other thing where it's not, like, I always get uh, upset or leery of what I'm doing if um, it's kind of going according to plan. Like, I, I do a lot of planning in, let's say, a story. And then if I follow the plan exactly, then I, I'm not satisfied. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I always want to kind of veer in a certain direction or kind of just, yeah, have some sort of, you know, I'm always on, on the lookout for like a bloodless intellectualism because I know that's like my um, my tendency, mm. you know. <laughs> so like, mm. uh, I, I don't know. So to me, like it, something sometimes is dead if it just mm. somehow f- doesn't have like this visceral quality, whatever that means. So surprise, surprise, or even yeah. just a um, just like disturbing mm. aspect. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I, but I'm always curious, like why people pick up and drop ideas I think it's sometimes just an instinct and you can't explain it but mm-hmm. yeah I don't think I ever consciously drop an idea you just get more interested in a different mm-hmm. idea sure. and the other one sort of gets forgotten about and then often what I do is I'll end up cannibalizing old manuscripts so I'll take ideas and then at some point I'll realize oh I've stolen too much from that book it's you know it's pretty much gone now I've, I've chunk, carved all the good chunks out of it and used it in other stories hmm. But it's never a conscious decision. It's always just something else caught my interest at the moment, and I put it aside for now, and then for now it ends up being forever. Isn't that a danger, though, as well, like in the process? Like, do you ever, where you do that too much? Because like, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll get, I'll find myself procrastinating by starting a new thing in that sort of sense. 
Yeah, I don't know. Not if, always, but you, I wouldn't call it a danger because I don't know particularly what the goal is. As long sure. as I'm writing good work and I'm sure. enjoying the process, then that's kind of the end goal in and of itself, right? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's curious. Yeah. yeah, like this novel that I that I am investigating whether or not it's dead. I actually wrote the draft of it before I started the one that's coming out next year. Oh yeah. So. You know, I think I was pulled towards that one and then went back and forth for a while. But I think, I think they're, I don't, if you're continuing to work and send stuff out and stuff, I don't think it's a danger. I think it's part of the process. I guess as long as you're not getting, like, as long as, I mean, you think you know, right? Like, you know, if you have this habit and tendency to just constantly have squirrel, squirrel brain or whatever it's called, flip between (laughs) ideas, yeah. Well, so speaking of procrastinating, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we should probably get uh, to work here. Um, well, thanks so much uh, 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 for you know being my guests. And uh, do you, any of you have like um, maybe can you just talk about what you're doing next or that people you know listening should check out? Uh, what do you you know what you want to plug? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm actually doing a writing workshop uh, at nice. Falcon Falcon Lake Resort. Falcon Shores, Falcon. Sorry, I'm fairly new <laughs> to the area. So, with Donna Basil, uh, oh. another Winnipeg writer, in November. So you can find a lot of information on. I do. I do blog fairly regularly at laurencarter.ca and the books that are coming out. A poetry collection called Following Sea in February, and my next novel is out next fall, and it's called This Has Nothing to Do with You. It's a great title. Thanks. I don't really have anything that I would like to plug. I've got a short story I'm working on. I have a novella that I'm working on that I'm hoping to polish up and find homes for. But um, I'm still in the polishing phase, and so nothing quite has a home yet. Um, So nothing to plug. Do you have a website? I actually do not, know. You need a website. Uh, That's a good, yeah, I I need to get on that. And yeah, I got nothing to plug. I just finished uh, a novel, but I have not yet found a publisher for it, and I haven't barely even started looking for one. So at is, some point, that will be coming out, hopefully. Is the Green Eye Queen of Suicide your last novel? That was my last novel, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. You don't have a website either. I do not. I don't I have even a have a phone. Everybody I'm needs I... a website. <laughs> I'm, I have like 20 websites. <laughs> it's like an addiction. Well, thanks so much. Uh, and uh, if we never are uh, seen alive again, uh, you'll know that uh, we are here at Donnegar House haunting the grounds. Um, but yeah, uh, thanks for listening and keep writing the wrong way. Yeah.